Good morning, church. Great to be in the house of the Lord. Quite a difference from last Sunday. Uh, I thought about last Sunday. Uh, Dave Sweet said it was the best sermon I'd preached since I'd been here last Sunday. You know, it's amazing as I look out this morning and I see uh, the folks that are uh, here, we're thankful for. But to have that group this morning gather in this foyer and have prayer for them as they were sent off to the convention, fortunately, in Indianapolis this year, which is a lot closer. But we need to pray for them. The weather's going to be hot this week. They're going to be in Indianapolis. They're going to visit the university at Anderson. Some of the kids have never been there. They're going to be able to go through and and look over the university, maybe make some decisions in the future of maybe even attending there. They'll be doing a work camp, uh, helping those in need in that area down there. Well, they're there this week, along with the great worship and inspiring times together. But then we have another 15 that are on down in South Carolina. Uh, they're not working. They're vacationing. Uh, I know that they're eating well because Shelley uh, didn't make it that far. Shelley got to uh, West Virginia and had to turn around and come back because of a fall. But she told me, she said, I sent all my food and all my cookies, all my goodies with them. So I said, one thing about it, Shelley, they'll remember you every time they take a bite. She'll not be forgotten, and uh, we need to pray for her. She's probably in, still in surgery now. They took her in about 8.30 this morning at Cleveland Clinic. She was in good spirits yesterday. She was, uh, with all that she's went through, she's still able to smile and say, well, the Lord's going to do the job, and that's all I can do. They've got good doctors, and the Lord's going to be with me. So we're thankful for that. So we need to continue to remember uh, her today, and I'll probably see her a little later. But uh, she was in good spirits and uh, with all the pain that she's went through. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about a forward look. So many times we have a tendency to look back, reminisce, and do all this. But we need to be looking as a people of God and as a church, as a forward look. And so I want to share with you a scripture that uh, uh, comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter number 9. Let me begin with number, verse number 51. It said, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead who went into Samaria, the village, to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. For when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said unto him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, The fox has holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to place his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, First let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow 
and looks back is fit to serve in the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking about forward, constantly moving forward. I thought about the, uh, you know, we all need encouragement to move forward once in a while, all of us, no matter who we are. One of the biggest secrets of success in this world, I believe, is motivating yourself and motivating others. I tell people all the time, you know, the job that I've had for the last 50 years, I could have been lazy. (laughs) I, I, I mean, I could have just sat back and waited for people to ask me to do things. But you see, in this line of work, you have to be a motivator, not to you as much as to me. I need to be motivated every morning when I awaken. I need to be motivated to say, what am I going to do today? Who am I going to reach today? Who am I going to win today? Who will I get a chance to have the opportunity to share with? My wife and I were talking yesterday. We went down the walk. Uh, we try to walk a mile or two every day. And we were at the center walking. She met a Christian lady there. And I did the walking. They did the talking. Okay. Uh, but, but she said, isn't it amazing how that you just simply mention Christ and how people want to come and talk and share? You know, we could talk about a lot of things. We get mad if we talk about politics, we talk about politicians, we talk about laws. But if you talk about Jesus, it seems like you always have that opportunity to be able to share the message and to encourage one another. This little lady is Walk, die, walking around, I'm looking down, they're down there, and they got an arm around one of those, standing right in the midst of all this big uh, rec center that we have in our town, and there they are praying together. It's wonderful. You see, but you have to learn how to motivate yourself. Now, one fellow said that uh, the way, one, one old tough cowboy I read about one time who slept out in the open air and who bathed in the cold water of the creek and who cooked on an open fire, was counseling his grandson on how to live a long life. He said the secret to it is, is to sprinkle a little gunpowder on your oatmeal in the morning. The grandson did this and lived to be 93. But when he died, he left 14 children 28 grandchildren, 35 great-grandchildren, and a 15-foot hole in the ceiling of the funeral home. I don't, I don't encourage you to sprinkle gunpowder on your oatmeal. But isn't it true that all of us at some time need a little bit of push? Isn't it true that sometimes that, that we ought to, you know, that we ought to have a little extra push from time to time to help motivate us to do what we know we ought to be doing? We know we ought to be doing. I hear people all the time use that. I know I ought to have done this. I know I ought to have done that. Or I, I shouldn't have done this. Or I shouldn't have done that. But you know what? What about realizing that God has motivated you to do something? to do something that will help others and will force the kingdom. I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything about motivation through some false sense. But Jesus had difficulty just like we did. Jesus had difficulty with his disciples. Now here he was. He had been walking with them. He had been talking with them. He had been sharing with them and teaching with them for three and a half years. And now he's coming to the time that he's going to be leaving. And Jesus was the master leader. He was the one that could just simply say the word, follow me. 
Now, you know, as a leader, I, I found that it's not always been that easy. I've not been able to go to somebody in the church or somebody on a board and say, just do as I say. You know, usually you have to give a reason. You have to give a program. You have to tell them how it's going to work. But Jesus was a master at this. Jesus simply said, follow me. He was a leader in motivation. In our lesson from Luke, Jesus said to a certain man, follow me. But the man said, well, let me go first and bury my father. Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus responded with radical, with rather forceful words, let the dead bury the dead. That is for you, go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that was? Jesus was saying, I've known many people that have had a calling upon their life to become a minister or to become a teacher in a church or to become a leader in a church or become a part of something. But we always use the excuse, let me go back and do this first and then. You know, but the then never happens. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus said to another he said, another one, he said, follow me. And he said, well, let me, let me go back and, and say farewell to my family. Let, let me tell my family why I'm leaving. And Jesus said, any man or woman that puts their hand to the plow. In other words, anyone that feels the calling and then goes back and makes excuses for not following through with it, he says it's not fit to lead in the kingdom. And so Jesus expected his followers, his disciples, and I believe that this scripture is true even today. Not just his disciples back there, but his disciples even today. His followers today to be totally committed. Totally committed. No matter what the weather is, no matter how cold, no matter how hot, no matter how difficult, no matter how sincere, or, or no matter what happens in our life, we need to be committed. You see, commitment is important. They couldn't straddle the fence, and you can't straddle the fence. They could not hold on to the past at the expense of the present. Now, you notice something. He wanted them and us to focus on the future. That's the reason why he said no one puts his hand to the plow while looking back is fit for the kingdom. We must not hold on to the past at the expense of the future. Now let me repeat that, because churches have a tendency to do that. We hold on to what we had, what used to be, what was, and we don't focus on what the future that God has for us. And so we need to realize that in the midst of any transition, any time things change, that sometimes if God's involved in it and God's working in it, then listen, my friend, just begin to pray and look for the future. What's God have in store for us? Some people are not able to enjoy the present or prepare for tomorrow because they're living in the past. They're just living in the past. That's all they're doing. And you know, you do not move forward constantly looking in the rearview mirror. You know, that's why I tell people, I would far rather, that's the only time that I can honestly say that I appreciate a cell phone. is when I'm traveling with a group. Every time, we we used to get in vans and cars, and we'd go places. We're heading out to camp meeting. And you know what people say? Well, I don't know the way. So you lead, and you know what? I'm constantly looking in that rearview mirror. It gives me a pain in the neck. I mean, I, it's hard to make any time. It's hard to, when, when somebody gets in between them, and now you're slowing down, and you're, you keep looking in the rearview mirror. It's hard to travel 
looking in the rearview mirror. And so it's not only true in traveling, but it's true in our lives. It's true in every one of us, you know. We cannot get there doing it that way. Listen to me. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you down. You see, everything that's ever happened at Bar's Mills has been a rudder to guide you and direct you in the direction God wants to lead the church. But don't let it become the past, become an anchor. That you never move any any other direction. You never go any further. You see, it takes more than that. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past. We learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. The past is a guidepost, not a hitching post. It's a guidepost. It tells us where we have been and the direction we're gone. But just don't hitch up there and stay at that place. Well, you know, Pastor John Claypool tells about a thunderstorm that came through southern Kentucky on the farm that he was he's lived in for generations. His family was raised there. His family had been there. His parents, his grandparents, his great-grandparents. Six generations had lived on this farm, kind of kind of a little bit like Linda Wyler's, you know. She she was born in the house that she now lives in, you know. I mean, generation after generation. Well, Claypool tells about his family living there, but he said a, a great storm came through, and it blew down in the orchard a huge pear tree that had been there from the time, all the time he'd ever lived. He said, you know, my grandfather remembered about climbing that pear tree when he was a young boy. He ate pears often and gave it to all the neighbors every year. Everybody knew about the Claypool's pear tree because they gathered bushels after bushels off of it. And this storm came through and took that pear tree down. Grandfather went over and was watching and looking at that pear tree and seeing all them pears that could have been picked and, and that tree that he used to climb. And he was broken hearted. One of the neighbors came along and they said, well, sure, sure, sure sad to know that uh, of all the trees that went down in that orchard, that pear tree was a special tree. I, I really feel bad about that. And the grandfather said, I feel bad too. The neighbor said, what are you going to do? He said, well, he said, feller, I got to thinking about it. He said, I- I've got me a basket over here. I'm going to pick the ones off that's not damaged. And I'm going to cut the rest of it up and burn it. I thought, you know what? That's a pretty good idea about our past, isn't it? We ought to pick the best we have. And everything else has been destroyed. We need to get rid of it. That's the reason why Jesus said when He saved us, He said, Gary, when I save you, every sin in your life, everything that you've ever done in your life that was wrong, I'm going to bury it in the deepest of seas of forgetfulness, never to remember it against you again. You see, that's getting rid of the past. So many times we don't know how to get rid of the past. We don't know how to do it. Let me tell you something. I believe that's that's a good way. That's that's a wise way to deal with things of the past. We need to learn the lesson from them. We need to enjoy the pleasures that we had of them. And then we need to go on from the end of the present and on into the future. We need to look to what God has in store for us. That's a wise way to look, my friend. That's a good way for the church to look. That's a good way for us as the people of God to look. There are some people who can never go, uh, my friend, can, can let go of the past experience, whether they've been good or whether they've been bad. You see, it's not just bad experiences. Sometimes good experience hold people back. They're always looking for the good old days. 
They're always looking for what used to be. They're always looking for what one time happened. You see, and then there's other people that are scared to death because when we did it before, it didn't work, preacher. I tell you, when we did that before, I'm telling you, and I've had a lot of committees try to convince me, you can't do that, it can't be done. But yet my Bible says all things are possible to them that believe. And so you see, we sometimes have to get away from that idea. There are many people who, who have experienced good or bad. They are handicapped in dealing with the present and the future because of those very things. Is there anyone in this room who remembers the Great Depression? Man, I've had so a lot of people had that Great Depression. I've had some on a committee I just kind of wish they weren't even there. Because sometimes, you know, the Great Depression holds us back. But you know what? When I think about it, when I think about this, have you ever noticed that people who went through the Depression are more conservative with their money than the younger generation? You've never been there? You know, I thought about it. I grew up on a farm, a little farm. But my daddy knew, his daddy knew what the Depression was all about. And so you know what? When something broke on the farm, it was cheaper to fix it than to buy new. I pastored in a church at one time where I had some farmers that farmed. I mean, they farmed big farms. I had a couple of guys that had 2,000 acres. They worked in tractors day and night. But you know what? They, they were older men. They knew how to farm. They knew how to handle farming. But then we had some younger ones who inherited the farm. That, you know, we had this wonderful year, bumper crop, crop bumper to bumper. And you know what? They would go to the bank and the bank would say, man, you've had such a good year. You know what? You ought to get rid of some of that old equipment. You ought to start buying yourself some of this newer stuff. And they got themselves so in debt that it took one year of a drought until two of them went bankruptcy. One young fellow came to my office. He blamed God for it. I talked to him a little bit. I tried to be nice. And finally, I said to him, I said, you know what? God didn't make that loan at the bank. God didn't trade that tractor in. Why, we got Charlie over here, and we got Harold over here, and they're doing fine. But you know what? The younger generation, you know, they were confused. They were, they were convinced that if, if you're going to make this kind of money, you're going to realize in farming you're going to have a bad year once in a while. So you've got to lay something aside. Those same people worked on some of my committees that say, when a young person come on that committee and say, oh man, we had, we had great attendance, we had great offering. Look at, we went way beyond our budget. We could do this and we can do that. And I'd always have that one guy say, well, you know what? Remember, there's always a seventh year's a drought. What are you going to do when the drought comes? We just spend it all now. And so you know what? They've been wise in the way that they've dealt with them. But you know, sometimes when I thought about this, I pastored a man one time who was thankful for his shoes. He was a great saint. I mean, one of the best friends a pastor could ever have. He was a pastor's friend. I mean, he was always saying, is there anything I can do? Anything I can do. You know what? Harvey and I would go places, and he, was, he had some sickness, and I'd take him down to the hospital, and we'd get to talking, and he said, you know what? He said, Pastor, he said, I came up, my parents come up, and we come up through the Depression. He said, I had the shiniest pair of shoes there was, but the bottoms were gone. He said, I'd put paper in them, I'd put cardboard in them. He said, I'd wear them, they'd feel real good on a sunshiny day. But he said, if I got caught in a rainstorm, it would melt, and I would have to get new cardboard, and I'd have to break it in. Have you ever wore cardboard in your shoes? I have. (laughs) Okay. I, you know what? It gets wet. And when you put the new in, it's not as comfortable until you get it to fit your toes. 
But he said, you know, I wore those shoes. He said, and every time I get in the snow or the rain, I'd have to change the cardboard. He said, but I'm going to tell you something, Pastor. I am so thankful for those shoes because they remind me of what I one time had and what I've got now. God's been a blessing. He said, I don't have to put cardboard in my shoes anymore. That's a blessing if God never gives me anything else. You know what? I think sometimes we need to look back. If we think of times when we did without, we'd become thankful for what we have. Amen? Do you know what? The Bible teaches that. Do you know that's exactly the reason why God told the children of Israel, remember, listen to what He said, remember how I brought you out of the house of slavery. You know why God said that? He wanted them to make that as a a point of reference. He wanted them that every time that things didn't go well, or every time they got in trouble, or everything didn't get their way, to remember what I brought you out of. What you could have been living in. You could have been in slavery. But you're free. He wanted them to experience and to be a reference point on how to be thankful. And that particular case, remembering of the past, was beneficial. It gave them a spirit of gratitude. It gave them a spirit, but, but it's not always true. It's not always true. It doesn't always happen that way. Pastor Dave Crockett, or Ken Crockett, tells a story about a woman one time, he said that he knew, who had a history of rejection. She was always being rejected, and, and, and it showed that she was suspicious of people's motives. A friend one time complimented her and said, Harriet, you really look nice today. Immediately, Harriet, who had this spirit of rejection, in response she said, Are you saying I don't look nice every day? Are you saying that I don't? Oh, you said you look nice today. You mean I don't look good any other days. And the fellows kept saying to her, his friend said, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I just think your dress looks nice. I didn't mean anything else. Well, you don't know how other way I can take it. What other way can I take it? You think I look bad most of the time, don't you, don't you? And because of her twisted thinking, based on past experience, this woman turned a compliment into an insult. You see, that's what happens to a lot of people, isn't it? That's what happens to a lot of people today. You don't have to hold up your hand, but, but have you ever been insulted? Have you ever had a time when somebody insulted you? Have you ever had a time when you've been rejected? I think all of us that have any life on us have had some kind of rejection somewhere in life. Have you ever had a time in your life, my friend, when, when you've been embarrassed to where you felt like crawling under a bench? Have you ever had a time in your life when you felt humiliated? You see, how do you think that affects your life today? How does it affect your life? How does it influence how you approach life today? You know, there's some people that will never do that. They're because they, they, they've been humiliated. They'll, don't, don't ever ask me to do that again. I've had people say, oh, I, was, I just felt humiliated. Don't ever, whatever you do, don't ask. You know what I've had? You know what I believe? I believe that, that every one of us that have become a Christian when God comes into our heart and life ought to know some kind of a prayer. If, you, if, if you're nothing more than to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me strength to be here today. 
But you know, there are some folks that will say to me, listen, I've been in a lot of places in preaching. They say, now, 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 they, they get a little nervous because once in a while I'll call out somebody. I might say, Dick, would you pray for me? And if I call the wrong person, man, <laughs> they're embarrassed. They don't, they, they say, don't call on me. I, I can't pray. I, I got, I got a stammering tongue. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know what? If you would just obey God and pray, you'd get over that. But you see, you use that as a tool to keep yourself from growing from moving forward in the kingdom. You know what? I believe that when, when rejection comes and embarrassments, there are people who carry around deep sense of rejection because they can't get over the past. They can't get beyond what happened yesterday. There are marriages that are, that, and they're suffering because one partner or the other is not willing, has never forgotten, has never forgiven, has never put the past behind them. And so they're, they're constantly living with danger in their life and in their marriages. Let me tell you something. We, it not only happens between husbands and wives. It happens with children. One of the greatest hindrances there can be in your family. Every child. You, you know, we have, an, we have a way of never forgetting some things, but forgetting a lot of other things. You know, sometimes with our kids, you know, they're going to make mistakes. They're growing up. They're teenagers. They're learning. They're, they're in that process. Uh, they don't know what their feelings are. They don't know how to react to it. And sometimes there have been parents that have nailed their kids to the wall and have never believed in them and never trusted them again because they made one mistake. Let me tell you something. When, you do, when that happens and people come to me and talk to me about it, they don't want to talk to me. Because I tell them, tell me if you've ever made a mistake in your life. Has God forgiven you of that mistake? then the Bible says, you do unto others as I have done unto you. If God's forgiven you, why can't you forgive somebody else? You see, we need to get beyond those kinds of things. There are people who are ruining their future because their lives are deeply infected by incidents and series of incidents that happened in the past. Let me give you an illustration. One of the sweetest little ladies I've ever known in my life pastored in West Virginia when I pastored Princeton. And the Princeton church had grown, and we, we, you know, they built one of these silly buildings that was on around, and it kept growing, they kept moving me out. Had a dome in the middle, and they had a big choir back here, and, and we needed room for people. They kept moving the platform out. Pretty soon I was standing in the middle of the thing, and I had to go like this. I had to turn my back to people to get talk to them. And we had an opportunity of a church that had bought the, the Lowe's building and was going into a mega church, and it was large enough for us, and the price was right, and we said, why don't we look at that? Why don't we investigate that? And I had one little old saint. I mean, this lady was in her late 70s. Now, that's not old because I'm there, okay? Uh, but she was in her late 70s. And she came to me and she said, Pastor, Oh, Pastor, I just love you. But she said, you know, it would break my heart if we'd ever considered buying that building. I said, well, why would you think that? She said, well, you don't understand. She said, when I was just a little girl, they had a meeting in that church. And my mother and I went to that meeting. And she said, they got the carrying on, and people got the falling on the store, and they begin to run in the building. They begin to speak languages I didn't. And I said, if I ever got out of there, I'd never go back again. Now, we're talking about a building, not a service. 
You see, this woman had this concept, I would never be able to go if you changed the name and you preached in that building. I just couldn't go there. I made that vow years ago. <laughs> well, what do you do when somebody's past 70 years old? You ain't going to change their mind. Only God can do that. But you know, she still loved me, even though I told her what I thought. She said, well, I, I understand where you're coming from, but, but this is just a vow that I made. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we get ruined. Fixation on the past is a big problem in the church. It's a large problem in the church. There are churches all over this land who are dying because they can't let go of the past. They can't let go of the past. They can't get rid of the past. Remember those seven last words of a dying church is, we've never done it this way before. Well, maybe it's time for us to do it differently. If we're dying, you know what? I'm the world's worst. Let me tell you, I visit a lot of folks in the hospital. I pray for a lot of folks, but I'm so thankful. Oh, how thankful I am. God's only gave me twice to have surgery. Because them needles aren't happy to me. All that checking they do, taking that blood doesn't make me happy. Making me do all that, they don't make me happy. But you know what? I do them. To get well. And you know what? Sometimes that's what we need to see within the church. The past is a great obstacle. People today need to have a picture of what the church is all about. You know what? When I begin to think about the church, we don't talk much about it today. In fact, you very, 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 very few people talk about the church. Now, a lot of times we got a lot, we got a lot of people gathering called religious people around, but a lot of them have never seen the church. They don't know what the church is all about. They just know what it's about to have a little bit of religion, to sing some real fancy songs and clap their hands and stomp up and down and go out feeling, feeling pampered and feeling real good. But when you get in the church, the church is when you come to Jesus Christ and He brings you into the family of God. We are the church. And when we begin to look at the church, you know what I look at the church in my thinking? When I look at the church, I see the church of the future. And when I see the church of the future, you know what I have to look for? I have to look beyond my age group. I've got to look at those young people. I've got to look at those children that we had here last week and, 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 and 60-some kids here during vacation Bible school that we planted the seed in their life. We need to, the church needs to see the future. We need to be looking to the future. What can we do to, to have the future of the church? And you know what I believe? I believe we're missing the boat in the church because we give children leftovers instead of the prime of the meal. I believe that if we would put more of our energy and muster and teaching abilities in the lives of young children and grow them up in the faith, we wouldn't have a problem when we got older. But you know what happens? We give them the leftovers. And you know what happens when that happens? The funeral director pretty soon closes the church because he takes them one at a time. One at a time until they're gone. I believe that a true vision of the church is the future, the future generation is teaching children and teaching them how to love God and know God. And it's our purpose to bring them. It's our purpose to witness to our grandchildren, to our neighbors, to our kids around the neighborhood, wherever they are. It's our job to try to get them in the kingdom. Then we need to look at the church in the present. 
And the fact of the present is, is that we need to look, and we had it in our Scripture this morning, that it's part of our duty is to know about our people. We need to know those that are sick. We need those to know those that are afflicted. We need to know those that are shut in. We need to know those that, why they come to church and, and, and why they come in the manner that they do and why they leave in the manner they do. Because until you know your people, until you know your brothers and sisters, you're never going to have the compassion for them. You're never going to be able to help them. So you see, the church needs to have a future and it needs to have a presence. And today, I believe, dealing with the past has always been a tricky proposition for religious people. There's a story that's told, and you know I like stories, of a Christian fellow, you know, that he loved the Lord, and he loved doing a morning devotion, and doing his Bible reading, doing his prayer, and so he'd get up every morning really early, and he'd get his Bible and get a devotional book out. He'd begin to read his Bible, then he'd read the devotional book, and he'd take time and pray. But you know, his time and praying would get longer and longer. And pretty soon the old cat would come over and begin to rub him and begin to bounce against him. And, 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 and he'd get to purring real loud if you have a cat like I do. You know what? They can get noisy sometimes. And so it interrupted his devotion time. So he bought a collar. He put a collar on that cat and he put a leash on it and he tied it to the bedpost. So when he wanted to do his devotions and have a quiet time, he didn't have to worry about that cat. He'd, he'd spend his time in devotion. When he was done, he'd unhook the cat and let it go free. Well, his daughter noticed how wonderful it was that her dad loved that time in the morning of reading the Scripture and and doing devotions. And so she decided she wanted to do something like like her dad did. So she did the same thing. She'd get up in the morning and she'd get her Bible out. She'd get her her, her little devotional book out. And she got that cat and she'd tie it to the bedpost. And then she'd do her time of devotion. And, of course, her prayer time was a little less you know, the younger, the more the generation moves on. He didn't pray as long as Grandpa or her daddy did. But you know what? She prayed. When she was done praying, she didn't lose. Well, her son got to be 19 years old. He decided he wanted some kind of tradition with his family. So, you know, he'd get up in the morning and he got ready to take himself a, a shower and that old cat would show up and he'd take that cat and he'd tie it to the bedpost. He'd go in the bathroom, he'd get himself all cleaned up. He didn't have time to read the Bible. He didn't have time to do devotion. He didn't have time to pray. So all he did was tie the cat up so it didn't bother him anymore. You know, we laugh at that. But don't we do the same thing in the church? Amen? Sometimes the things we do in the church... We picked up from way back there that had a purpose back there, but they have no purpose today. I preached at a church. I won't tell you what church it was, but it's church of God. They asked me to come preach. I came in to preach, and I was ready to come in and come up today. You sat on the platform. They went to go up on the platform. I said, oh, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute. We're not ready yet. And they had two, two, two little girls. They came up, and they had candles on 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 the community table. And they come up and walked up and they lit the candles. Had a little trouble lighting them because they were smaller. But they lit the candles and then they put things back and they walked back, soldier style. Now it was time for me to come up. When I went to lead the platform, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Here come these two little girls. They're going to put the candles out before I can leave the set. That was there three weeks. I began to inquire. What's the purpose in that? Nobody knew. They just have always done it. 
These were the grandkids of these older folks over here. Oh, it's wonderful. My granddaughter, my grandson's going to light them candles. Now, give me a reason for it, and I'll be okay with it. But you see, tradition, what happens sometimes, is all of this stuff that we do that has no sense, that has no, no influence on winning people. We spend all that time that we could spend... I'm going to get to metal. We could spend at the altar. We spend more time lighting candles than we do praying at the altar. Why? Because, you see, we don't have that forward look. We don't have that compassion. We don't have that great desire. We're kind of like the, the, the family that just tied the cat to the bedpost. You know, we have no reason for it. There's a warning here. We cherish many good things of a past. But we must make certain they're not simply tying the cat to the bedpost. Make certain that everyone, the church needs to continually evaluate itself to see whether we're meeting the needs of this present generation. You see, we need to make sure that we are teaching and training and telling them what the gospel is all about. I love the choruses. I love those new songs that we have. But don't forget some of the old ones because they got a message that's going to tell you a story. You see, we need to be teaching our children. That's our job. That's what God called us for. That's what Jesus said. No man put his hand to the plow and looks back. is fit for the kingdom. Jesus has called us to be forward-looking people. I wonder if there's anyone here today who would look at your life and look at something that's happened in your life in the past. A time when you were betrayed. A time when you were humiliated. A time when you were deeply hurt. Is there some experience that's keeping you from enjoying the present? Because you see, the devil has a way. We come here and God's Spirit speaks to you in that pew. But I'm knowledgeable enough to tell you also that the devil is here as well as the Lord. And he will speak to you in that pew also. He will tell you, don't move today. Don't do that now. Don't say that before anybody. Because you you know what? It will embarrass you. It will humiliate you. Let me tell you something. The devil's a liar. And God wants you to enjoy your experience with God. He wants to put a smile on your face. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to feel a peace and a joy. You see, many times in tradition, we lose all of that. What we need today more than anything, there are a number of ways that the past can affect your perception of your lives now. Give thanks for the experiences in your life that has brought you to the point you are. Give thanks for that. I think of Valerie. Valerie has committed her life to Jesus. You know, Reuben's, Reuben's daughter. And you know what? She, she, she just wants to, to be where her daddy was. She wants to know what her daddy experienced in this place. And we need to help her do that. You see, that's what it's all about. Give thanks for the experience of a loss of a father in order to bring his daughter to him. But don't let them interfere with the present or the future. Don't let it interfere with him. Sometimes you need to do something like putting the past on the altar. Yeah, that's the reason why we use the altar. 
I know you can do it right there. You can do it here. I hear it all the time on the radio and television. Wherever you are, just sit there and think about it and just tell the Lord and whatever. But you know what? There's something about publicly committing yourself to God. And saying, God, you know, this thing's been hindering me. It's held me back. I want to lay it on that altar. I want to be it in the past. I want you to take it and bury it as far as the seas is, as deep as the sea is, away from me, never to remember it against me again. I want to go out of this place free from it. I don't want to be bound to it any longer. Sometimes we need to be putting those things on the path to get rid of painful memories and that's interfering with the presence of happiness. Of course, that's what our faith's all about. It's not about life in the past. It's about living joyfully, freely in the present. I want to close with these words. Remember the past. The past is a guidepost. The past is a guidepost, not a hitching post. Now, today, now is the time for us to go forward. Now is the time to say, God, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me, what, what would you have me want to, me to do, Lord? I'm willing. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in a place where I want you to just use me in any way you can. See, I, I, I'm looking to the future. But I'm not so heavenly minded that I, I forget about what's going on right here today. There are people that need the Lord. There are people that are hurting all around us. My friend, the only way that the church can meet those needs is to see the people who they are and where they are. And He will meet those needs for them. And then there will be joy in the camp. There will be happiness. There will be shouting. Because God is in the midst doing something and helping us to move forward. Let's stand together. Father, this morning, we thank You for the church. We thank You, Lord, for the privilege that we have of listening to You and, Lord, obeying You and looking at what we have had in the past. But now, Lord, we're living in the present. We're living in a day when, when people need to know You, when they need Your love, they need Your forgiveness. Lord, we pray today for every person that's in this building, Lord, that they'll be able to put the past behind them and walk into the future knowing that, God, You're going to lead him in the right direction. Father, speak to hearts and lives in this place today. And we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Page number 530. 530.